Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome back to Revive the Drive. I'm Pastor Art Georges, and I'm joined with Pastors Rich Burkle and Daniel Bennett. And in this session of Revive the Drive, we want to talk about the conditions for salvation. What must I do to be saved? Uh, Guys, when we share the gospel, uh, there are a number of approaches, but uh, one of the approaches that I like to uh, major on is to ask uh, the person that I'm talking to, Uh, what they think the conditions are for receiving eternal life. Uh, In other words, the question goes something like this. Uh, If you were to die tonight, heaven forbid that, but if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And one of the reasons that that is such a, a helpful question is that it helps to discern the heart of the listener, the responder, and what they think are the conditions for receiving eternal life. Uh, What what sort of responses have you guys received from that question when you've used it? One time my old college roommate was trying to find a church in the Dallas area, and so he asked me to call this church that he had been looking at, and so I called, and I, the first person that answered that church's phone, I, I asked that question of, and they said, wow, that's a really good question let me get you our evangelism pastor. Hmm. And so they, the evangelism pastor picked up the phone and she said, hello. And I said, yes, uh, my friends looking at your church. I was wondering, what do you believe about uh, salvation? You know, if you were to die and God were to say to you, how should I, why should I let you into heaven? What would you, what would you tell him? And she said, wow, I have never been asked that question before. I'm not really sure what I would say. Hmm. So it, and then she she did kind of give an answer where she said, "Well, maybe I would, uh, maybe I would tell him about my trying to obey the Ten Commandments and be a really really good person to people." Uh, and what's also struck me as I've asked people that question is how of- offended sometimes mm. people get. L- like you're you're kind of asking a really personal question that they haven't thought through, or maybe even a judgmental question. Right. So, right. But but it it really does get to the heart of the, what a person is trusting in for their salvation. I think a lot of people are very confused uh, that they've never heard a question like that or thought about that issue, which tells us something, doesn't it, about Mm -hmm. us as believers and and our uh, boldness and our consistency in sharing the gospel that so many people have not ever thought about the conditions that God requires in order for them to be received by him into heaven. Um, I was in a doctor's office once, and a very similar story, Daniel, where uh, I asked one of the assistants that question as she was uh, working with me, and and she says, oh, that's a great question. She said, uh, let me ask the doctor. <laughs> so the doctor came in, they asked him. And, you know, again, his answer was also very common, where he began to talk about um, various acts that the church required for him to be able to enter into heaven, that this is what uh, the, uh, that the church that he attended uh, would have answered. 
Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because so many people don't know even how their church would respond to that question. And, and as you asked him that, what level of confidence did he have in the answer that he was giving? Like, did he say, well, you know, the church says I need to do these things, and I've kind of done some of them, so, you know, here's hoping. Or Yeah. Well, I think he, he, he seemed to have fairly uh, good confidence that his church was leading him in the right direction. Okay. But it was more of an issue of I trust the church to be telling me the right answers to this as opposed to have any real biblical understanding of, of the gospel itself. I, I talked to another uh, man um, who was an elder in his church, a leader, and I asked him that question, and, and then uh, he kind of struggled with the answer. I said, well, what would your church say about that? And uh, he, he candidly said, you know, I don't know. I'll go back and talk to the pastor about that. But, but here is a leader in his church really not understanding what are the conditions that God requires for me to meet in order to have my sins forgiven and a home in heaven. Hmm. In some respects, the uh, responses that you received are almost... Uh, better than uh, a bad response because it shows maybe uh, an openness to hear what the Bible says. Uh, sometimes we receive answers, uh, oftentimes when we share the gospel, all of us, I'm sure, uh, about uh, something that this person has done, a good work or a good lifestyle that might be pleasing to God and might receive his free gift of eternal life. And uh, and so there's almost an, an undoing of wrong ideas there that we have to 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 teach to the person who would listen. So, what does Scripture say? Uh, because behind uh, most of the confusion is uh, a misunderstanding of what our part is and what God's part is in the saving message of Jesus Christ. Well, Ephesians tells us that salvation. Uh, First of all, is, is necessary because we're at, at war with God. We're, we're children of wrath, Ephesians 2 tells us. And verse 4 of Ephesians 2, after telling us that we're, we're children of wrath, we're, we're like, like the rest of mankind, uh, verse 4 begins with this, this amazing uh, contrasting conjunction here. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved, and raised us up with Him in the heavenly, uh, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse eight, "For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." And there's mm-hmm. obviously a lot in those verses, mm-hmm. but it tells us how salvation does not come about. It's not through our works, and then how it does come about by God's grace through faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the gospel, it has a simplicity to it, doesn't it, in reference to the condition that God calls us to meet in order to receive salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It's not something that we earn or deserve. Uh, we couldn't because we're sinners, so we're already behind uh, in that, and, and yet God and his grace reaches out to us, and and it's very similar. The, the idea is, how, how do we receive an invitation? Well, we receive it by, by believing in it and trusting in it and, and accepting it as our own. And, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, first the, the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John three sixteen, and children and adults love it alike, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whosoever would believe in him 
would not perish but have eternal life. And and so there it's very clear that Jesus is teaching us that it's it's believing in him, believing in, in God's Son. And and of course, um, that great story in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas are in prison and there's an earthquake and the jailer is despairing of his own life thinking that the prisoners have escaped and Paul and Silas cry out that they're still here not to take his life. And uh, this jailer who had observed Paul and Silas singing hymns in the midst of their travail and pain and and I think uh, would have heard much of the content of the gospel mm-hmm. while they were through those songs and while they were talking in prison, um, just asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And 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 the very simple answer that is given to him is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Mm-hmm. And so so the condition is, is very clear. Uh, now we, we need to talk about, well, what does it mean to believe? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right, yeah. And even in the simplicity of Christ's words in Mark chapter 1, Uh, Verse 15, as he begins his public ministry, his first recorded statement according to Mark's gospel is repent and believe in the good news. And so, as you've said, Rich, uh, there is a very uh, simple uh, aspect of the gospel, and yet it's, it's deep too, it's complex. So what does it mean to believe? What does, uh, what does it mean to believe in the good news, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you brought up the idea of repentance, and it's very interesting because as we uh, study through the Scriptures, the New Testament in particular, what condition does God require? There is one condition, but that condition is is a combination of faith and belief, almost as though they're, they're the very same thing. Mm-hmm. There, there are some passages that speak only of repentance as necessary to be able to uh, receive the forgiveness of God. So I think of Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Uh, And sometimes only faith is mentioned, and we mentioned John 3.16. And then there's other times when faith and repentance are mentioned together uh, in Acts 20.21. I've declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Mm. And so what we're seeing here is that faith and repentance are, uh, they're so much alike. They're they're, uh, They're two sides of the same coin. Right. Some people talk about them as two sides of the same coin. So they're two different sides, two aspects, but really the same thing. Mm -hmm. And why, why can't you have faith without repentance? Well, I think the answer to that is because uh, prior to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, uh, someone's faith or reliance on what it would take to get eternal life, to receive eternal life, is in something else, notably uh, perhaps their own goodness, their own good works. Yeah, that's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6.1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God. And so there's this need to repent from what you've been pursuing, your, your dead works that are useless, and, and turn to faith in God. I think it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's Wayne Grudem that gives the illustration of a person who's, who's sinking in the ocean and holding on to a, a large boulder. 
And in order to, to grab on that life preserver, they have to first let go mm. of that, that boulder that's, that's causing them to sink. And so a person, now why a person in the middle of the ocean has a boulder, <laughs> I don't, I'm not quite sure. It <laughs> sounds like a very foolish beautiful. thing to do in the first place. But they, 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 you have to, we have to repent. We have to turn from dead works before we can place our, our faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's a great question. Why can't you believe without repentance? And, and I might use the illustration of uh, the, for the same reason you cannot uh, move both south and north at the same time. Mm. You know, in yeah. other words, yeah. salvation is moving in a direction toward God. Right. It is moving toward life and away from death. And, and you cannot move north and move south at the same time. You have to turn. For, if you're on a path moving south, moving downward, uh, in order to move north, in order to move upward toward God, you have to turn around. And that's the reason why repentance is a turning around away from that old manner of life and everything in it so that you might enjoy the goodness of God and his salvation. Salvation is not just uh, freedom from hell. It is a whole life aspect of our life being conformed to, to Christ and experiencing the glory of God. And so that's, that's repentance. A person is saved by repenting and placing their faith in Jesus. And sometimes people really misunderstand faith, don't they? They believe that faith is just merely intellectually assenting to some truths about Jesus or having some nice thoughts about who Jesus Christ is. But Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 13, is, is someone asks him, you know, are there going to be many people or, or few who are, are saved? He talks about striving. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For there'll, there'll be many who desire to, to be saved and, and enter into the kingdom and, and won't receive it. Yeah, and, and we acknowledge that the Scripture is very clear in warning us away from a false kind of faith. And mm-hmm. so we want to ask, well, what is that false kind of faith that, for instance, James warns us about, a faith that doesn't work, a faith that's kind of very similar to the faith of demons that believes intellectually in certain aspects about God? And this is a very important matter because, uh, in my experience, many believers rest on a prayer that they prayed when they were little mm-hmm. for the security of their future life with God. And they say, well, I know my life is kind of messed up now, but back then um, I prayed this prayer. And understand the the nature of genuine living faith is different from the nature of a false faith. One rescues us and delivers us to God so that we can experience him and enjoy him. The other leaves us in the same condition, only leaves us with with sort of a false security. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, what then... Are, is the relationship uh, with works, saving faith and works then? Because what we're really saying is uh, that saving faith is not about my works, uh, granting me favor with God so that I would receive eternal life. So what are what is the relationship with faith and works? I think works demonstrates that the, the faith was genuine, that it was a true saving faith. And this is such an important thing for people to understand, and Rich is exactly right. There are so many people that are in our churches. Uh, I believe that there's a possibility of many people in our churches believing that they're saved and, and yet not being. And that's Jesus's again in Luke 13. Uh, he talks about having to tell people, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And so there are going to be people who 
come before the Lord and say, look, I was in the church. I mm-hmm. did some really good things. How can you say I'm not part of the kingdom? How can you say I'm not a Christian? How can you say I'm not saved? And the answer is uh, they didn't repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. They had a a faith that wasn't genuine or an assent to some facts about Jesus without a relationship. And so, you know, this question that we, we've started off with, what must I do to be saved, uh, is, is, a, is a question that's worth spending a couple extra minutes on to make sure that people clearly understand uh, what true saving faith looks like and how a person can be saved. Right. I think it was Martin Luther that said something to the effect that uh, uh, works don't save, but a faith that saves is never void of works. It is always accompanied by works, and that's really backed up by Scripture, isn't it? I love the simplicity of Romans chapter 1, verse 5, that says that uh, Paul's ministry was to bring about uh, the obedience that comes from faith. And so a saving faith uh, in the true and living God uh, brings forth obedience uh, to his ways. Uh, and so, again, uh, as James would aver, faith is never absent from works. So just to kind of summarize, you know, a person's been listening to this talk the last 15 minutes or so, and they're saying, well, you know, I know I need to be saved. What do I, what must I do? We've, we've told them it's not works. You can't be, you can't be saved on the basis of anything that you've done. It's faith and it's repenting and placing your faith in in Jesus Christ as as Lord and Savior. And and placing your faith means to place your trust, to believe in him, not just some facts about him. And that kind of faith is going to produce something. Right. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's first an an intellectual understanding of of the problem and of the solution that Christ is the solution. But it's more than just a a mental assent and say, yeah, that's what I kind of believe. Yeah. There's also an emotional element where your heart is drawn toward Christ, and then uh, a, a, an element of your will where you say, I am committing my life to Christ. He gave me uh, and offers me life. He gave me his very blood so that I can be forgiven. And now I am turning to him and embracing him as my own. He will be my Savior and my Lord. Mm-hmm. So one other thing here, Rich, you you said that sometimes people are placing their confidence in a prayer they prayed. And a person may be listening and saying, wait a minute, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Am, am I saved? I mean, how, how does a prayer fit into this? Yeah, and a prayer is an expression of faith. Uh, right, rightly, Prayer is an expression of faith, but prayer can be just an expression of one of words as well. Mm-hmm. And so one has to discern for themselves. When I prayed to God uh, to save me, was my heart and my will and my mind engaged to trust in Christ as my own? Mm-hmm. And do I desire to follow God in my life? Do I see him as good and great and awesome and as the source of life? And so, uh, so one has to discern for themselves, and we're going to talk about that actually in the next segment uh, when we talk about uh, whether or not a person can lose their salvation. Right, and Peter says that uh, the, the prayer that saves is a prayer that is an appeal for a cleansed conscience, and so it's a look to God to cleanse us of our sins because of what Christ has done, and maybe it's helpful to end this session with uh, the simple statement of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Thanks for joining us in this segment segment of Revive the Drive.